Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. There's Doris. Wave to everybody. Doris is one of the missionaries of our church, and we have this morning both Doris and, where's David? David, stand up. And these, this, they're not married. <laughs> and David is here and Doris are here, both from Africa. Doris and her husband work in Kinshasa, and David and his wife work in Lusaka, Zambia. And so we're very happy to have you here. I wish we could interview you both today. I thought about doing it, but I get shot by myself if I did it. You can be seated. Thank you very much. David works in training pastors. He's part of a new work called Africa Christian University that uh, is being led by Reformed Baptists in Lusaka. And David has uh, three daughters and a son. And his wife is back at home. And his son is this man. Stand up. And what is your name? Turn around. This is John, and he's not married yet. (laughs) And he has a very sweet smile and stands straight. And then next to him is, are you married yet? No, you're not. Would you stand up? This is Sarah. And what? (laughs) What'd you say? Stand up, Sarah. Sarah. (laughs) And Sarah, what are you doing? You're, you're just going to school. All right. And what year are you? You're a freshman. All right. And then Mary, quite contrary. And Mary is doing what? I work Mary works at Author House. And are you married or single? That's just a joke. Thank you. And then uh, Doris's son is Lucas. Where is Lucas? Yeah, and are you... You are married. Okay. It's just checking on that. Yeah. Yeah, you did a good marriage. It was arranged. (laughs) Oh, I... Well, you don't belong to your dad anymore. Yeah, yeah, stand-up, Lizzie and Lane. M- MTW doesn't let you, but we do. All right. This is Lizzie, and Lizzie belongs. You can see the family likeness, and Lane is her husband, and it's Lizzie Bowman. Yeah. Um, this is our final sermon before we uh, scratch our commitments down on cards. And uh, we are preaching on money, and you all probably realize that. And um, I wanted to ask you this morning, would you please be praying for the older women of the church and the officers, because it has been a brutal two months, absolutely brutal. Um, You say, how? And I say, well, some of the things I can't tell you because they have to do with church discipline, but um, I don't remember a time, three or four weeks, when there has been such intense... um, I don't know what to say, just sober, sober, uh, hard things that we've been dealing with. 
And in Hebrews it says, brothers, pray for us. And I would say to you, brothers. <laughs> yeah, I know you're women. Brothers, pray for us. We really do need it. Um, some of us, I'm sure, in the last few weeks have thought, I can't go on. And that's not being melodramatic. Um, I feel like I've aged five years in the last three weeks. And some of it has been sin that has been confessed. Uh, but there have been other things also. And uh, so I would really ask you to pray for us. And one of the things I've been thinking about is that if you talk to pastors, you talk to elders, they'll tell you that when you have a capital campaign, these things always happen. And so what everybody always says is, well, Satan's attacking. And I always am uncomfortable with that. And the reason is, do any of you remember Oral Roberts? Remember the, the wacko, charismatic dude? And you remember how he said that God had told him to build a, what, 5,000-foot-tall prayer tower or something? Remember that? Any of you remember the prayer tower that God revealed to him that he was to build? How tall was it? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy looking. It's real big. And I just don't think that every single time a church builds that it's God building. Or that God gave a revelation to the elders that they should build. Do you, do you understand? Because then, what I desire and what God desires become the same thing. And it just makes me uncomfortable, you know? Um, now, do I believe that God has called us to add on? Yes, I do. Um, do I believe that the plan is the right plan? Yes, I do. Do I believe there are other ways of doing it? Um, yeah, but I think this is the most conservative financially that we can do. Most conservative financially. And so why then such uh, terrible things happening? Very, very difficult things. Um, Another way of putting it would be, why would God have those things come to light right now? Because, of course, typically failures and sins have been going on for a long time. But why did they come out right now? Um, and this is not a sermon. This is a pastoral talk. And I think one of the reasons is that there's nothing that parses. Any of you ever taken a foreign language? You know what it means to parse a sentence, right? There's nothing that parses our souls as much as money. Jesus talks about it constantly, money. And I suppose you could do, uh, you could do an analysis of how we spend our time in this church, and that would, that would indicate it in a similar way, you know? Because time is money, right? I suppose we could do an inventory of how we use the gifts that God has given us. And that would indicate also, um, to some degree, who we are and what our faith is, right? That where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. None of us ever thought that that just referred to currency. Our treasure are our gifts. Our treasure is our children, 
Our treasure is our possessions. Our treasure is our time. Our treasure is our marriage, right? But when you get down to money, the weasel factor is gone. Money has a way of teasing things out or brutally shoving things out that won't come out any other way. Are you with me? You know, I have a relative who will go unnamed who is always magnanimous when it comes to paying the, the, the bill at, uh, at, at a restaurant. But don't you let that fool you. Because sooner or later, you remember what it says in Proverbs about, you know, if, if you're not careful what you eat at a rich man's house. Remember that proverb? Oh, it's a, boy, if you don't read the Proverbs, it's wonderful. It says, you better watch out because he's going to make you vomit up what you, he just fed you. So be very careful what you eat at a rich man's house. Any of you ever eaten at a rich man's house? You ended up vomiting what you'd eaten? And you say, well, not literally. I mean, that was Rome. That's bulimia. And I say, no, no, not literally. It's figurative. And if you take the dainties from a rich man, almost always there's a cost to the dainties, isn't there? And so you have to be more sophisticated than just watching where the dollar bills go and who actually signs the credit card statement at the dinner table. You have to see what's required of you for that meal, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart. What I think is that when a church disciplines its love of money, did you hear me? When a church disciplines, when a church's elders make a decision that they will go into a period of disciplining their own and their congregation's love of money. Did you hear me? That's really what a capital campaign is. A capital campaign is the officers of the church saying, you know what we need to do? We need to discipline our love of money. And how about if we call the congregation to discipline their love of money too? All hell breaks loose. First of all, the elders begin to look at each other and say, are you really serious about this? And, and inevitably, one or two of the elders say, no, actually, I'm not. And then the other elders have to decide whether they're still on board despite a couple of the guys bailing. And then they look at the deacons and say, hey, deacons, you on board with us? And a couple of the deacons bail, and pretty soon there's resentment in the deacons' board. Why? Because... It's not from each according to what he has to each according to their need, but it's from all but two of each to everybody who has. In other words, there's division that starts because some men are on board and some men aren't, or their wives aren't. You never know which it is. And so the divisions start in the elders' board, then they go to the deacons' board, then they go to the older women because some of the women resent what the other women have. And then people come into the congregational meeting and they begin to say, hey, have you guys thought about not building the shell? And aren't you guys a bunch of idiots anyhow? And what gives you the right to discipline my love of money? Now, I know that's not what anybody was saying last week. Listen. 
I promise to you that I love children that argue with their parents. And if you can't see that in this church, you're blind in one ear and can't see out of the other. <laughs> Listen. The Israelites said to Moses, you have made us a stench in the eyes of Pharaoh. So, okay. All right, David's looking at me saying, you mixed your metaphors. All right, all right, all right. Listen, if you don't have fighting in an elders meeting and at the family table, you don't have an elders board and you don't have a family table. Do you understand me? There is no growth that comes on the football field without blocking machines that are hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And there's no growth that occurs in a family without fights. And there's no growth that occurs in a church without arguing. And if you think that it's wrong to argue, you haven't begun to have real family life in a church or in the home or in a marriage. This is true. Now, it doesn't mean that we cultivate division, but it does mean that we cultivate everything right up to division so there won't be division. Does that make sense to you? All the questions should be asked. All the arguments should be made. Every objection should be answered. They should all be heard. But as those things are talked about, what you see going on in a church is the parsing of our idolatry and our greed. Do you understand that? In other words, remember what it said in Corinthians that I preached on a little while ago. Remember, God, the Holy Spirit, says to us, there must, what? There must need be, what? Divisions among us. To show what? To show who has God's approval. I would nominate that as one of the texts in Scripture that most of us would like to get rid of. Because we're all pomos, we're all postmoderns. And we all want to just get along. But the fact is, the getting along of postmodernism is vomitous. It's disgusting. It is a facade and a sham because there's no depth. It's just... I mean, that's the depth of the unity of postmodernism. It's just this constant superficial talking that never gets to who you are and who I am. You know, you don't punch me and I don't take the punch and then punch you back. And that's what we have to do to grow in the Lord. What do you think is reflected in all the Gospels? It's Jesus pump, punching his disciples, and then they punch him. Well, then who, Lord, can be saved? you remember? Regularly, he, after his teaching on divorce, well, then, Lord, who can be saved? Or, well, Lord, nobody should get married then. When he teaches about money, what do they say? When he says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Remember that? And then they say, well, then, Lord, who can be saved? And he says, with what? With man, it is not possible. But with God, what? All things are possible. And so you look at what Jesus does with the disciples, and it's just this constant, what? Conflict. What is teaching? Teaching is busting you down until you're willing to learn. 
and then putting you back together again. That's what teachers do. What is coaching? It's busting you down until you're ready to get put back together again, right? What is a pastor? What did my dad say when I went in the ministry? He said, preach it down and then preach it back up again. In other words, tear it apart and then put it back together again through the preaching of God's word. And so when we decide that we're going to deal with money, there should be a lot of conflict. There just should be. Why? Because we're Americans. We have perfected greed to a point that no other people group in history have perfected it. First pres in Colombia. <laughs> oh, could I be comfortable as a senior pastor? Excuse me. Where Dan Cole and Holly are. Remember them? They just had twins. All of you, how many of you remember Dan and Holly? Boy, I would like to have his budget for choir robes as my salary. <laughs> right? That's the woman over there that I was telling you about. Raise your hand, Don. That's her. <laughs> okay. And so... When the elders say, we're going to look at each other and we're going to ask, do you love money? And it's okay if you look back at us and say, it's none of your business. And then we'll say, no, actually, hey, it is our business. And you'll say, where do you see that in the Bible? And they'll say to you, well, you know how Jesus was pointing out how much each person gave in the temple? He pointed out the rich men and then he pointed out the widow. And he made comparative statements. Comparisons are odious. And Jesus made comparative statements. That's actually what we're going to preach on next week. What I'm going to preach on next week is that wonderful story of the widow's might. And you widows, oh, it's so beautiful. And you know me, and you know I'm not patronizing you, right? And you have to say yes, because <laughs> everybody's watching. Hey, we're graced with widows in this church, and they're beautiful, and they do give, and they give when they don't want to, right? Taking care of the, the funeral meals. And so what the elders are doing in this church is the elders are looking at you, and they're saying, do you love money? Do you love money? And you say, well, I'm just a student. How can a student love money? And I say, oh, what do you think a degree is? A degree is, I mean, they never stop telling you that a degree is what? It's wealth. They tell you what your average earnings will be over the course of the rest of your life if you get this or that degree and this or that department. And what a fool you are if you're studying history. Right? Right? And so almost always the majority of our people are either foolish and studying music or smart and in business school. So how many people here either got a degree or are getting a degree in the business school? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Oh, they're, all right, all right. There are a number. And how many history majors do we have? And so when the elders look at us and they say to us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and they call you to build on. 
And you look at your wallet, you look at your checkbook, and you say, you know, I'm just a student. I'm just a widow. I'm just a pastor. I just lost my job. What's going on is that God is parsing our souls and our faith. And there's not one person here that God is not doing that with. Not one person. You sit there and you think, well, I'm poor. God isn't parsing my soul. And I, I say to you, why do you think he points out the widow giving her might? Are you a widow who would never think of giving your might? We've had several men here this week who this last Wednesday lost their jobs suddenly, without notice. What does God say to those who lose their jobs? He says what? What does he say? He says, fear not, little flock. Why? Because you're worth much more than what? The birds of the air. His eye is on the sparrow. And so I think when you go into a time of the elders asking you to look at your money and your greed and your your desire, every single one of us, our hearts are parsed. Every single one of us. Women, their hearts are parsed because they're having to make a decision whether they're going to be godly and give themselves to childbearing and marriage or if they're going to be independent of any scoundrel man and have a profession. And you say, are you saying that it's wrong for a woman to have a profession? I say, did I just say that? I said that women regularly in this church are called to make a decision as to whether or not they're going to trust God and give themselves to marriage and children. Well, then you must be saying it's wrong for a woman to work. I say, did I say that? If I were to ask how many women here this morning came into Bloomington intent on having a profession and a career and maybe having children as a lifestyle option and then decided that they wanted to give themselves to being married and having children, would you raise your hands? None? Just one, two. Oh, three, four, five. Any, anybody else here? Well, of course, there's about 30 to 50 women here that are like that. There are those who have already made the decision. They're just not married. Hey, hey, wait, everybody look back and see this. The door just came open. Okay, so, so in other words, a number of hands are inside the cry room. <laughs> you know what they say? They say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They say that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's one of the things I've been thinking about. I've been thinking... What is the treasure of this church? What is the treasure of the elders and the pastors and the Titus II women and the deacons? What is our treasure? Well, if you've been here even two Sundays, you know what our treasure is, right? Our treasure is what? Our treasure is our children. 
Is there anything that we care more about than our children, right? Anything? Mike, anything you care about more than Kyle and Seth and Aaron? Nothing. And so we go into a capital campaign, and what happens? What happens is God exercises his sovereignty over our children, our greatest treasure. And God says, before I ever loan them to you, what? They belong to me. Who do our children belong to? God. And does that mean that God gives them feather beds to sleep on and sugar daddies to live on? Is that how God treats his children? No. Does God expose their sin? If he loves them, he does. <laughs> yeah. It's just so sweet that God doesn't leave our children alone, but he pulls them kicking and scratching into the light because he is light. Are you all tracking with me? So the elders ask us to look at money, and what happens is our treasure gets parsed. And for many of us, our greatest treasure is our children. And when they were little, what we did was that we brought our children in front of the church, and we had our children given to God. Remember Hannah said that she gave what? She gave Samuel what? Back to God, because God gave him to her. Remember little Samuel? And so we gave our little children to God. When they were born, we brought them in front of the church and we said to God, they're yours. We said to the church, they're yours. And now God's exercising his prerogatives on our children, isn't he? Huh? You all with me? And, and, and let me tell you something, that's God's love. It's his love. He reminds us that those children are his. Remember what my dad said after losing three little ones when, when, when our family was growing up. He said two things. He said that he and my mother were never as certain of the love of God as when they walked away from the grave of one of their children, burying them. You talk to Curtis about what it was like to be lying in bed almost dead of cancer. And what he has consistently testified is those were the times when he was most aware of the love and mercy of God. And that sometimes now as he faces his sin, he wishes he could go back to being almost dead of cancer. Right? There's Curtis. That's Curtis. And so the other thing my dad said is he said that... um, He said that God has loaned our children to us and he can call in that loan anytime he wishes. (laughs) And boy, right about the time that we got it in our brains that we should give ourselves to having children, then what? We turn them into idols. And our grasp is like this. Try to pry a mother's claws off her children. Some of you who are freshmen at IU know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) so pray for the elders 
Remember what the Bible says. The Bible says what? The Bible says no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and, and money. Remember what God said to us. God said, fear not, little flock. Remember what God said. God said to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And when the rich young ruler who had much money walked away, what does it say about Jesus? Huh? Yeah, he felt a love for him. And he was sad. But did he stop him and say, just kidding? No. He gave him the dignity of his idolatry. Right? What does God say about money? What God says about money is make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And that's, that's the punchline of the joke. You can sometimes think of parables as jokes. That's the punchline of the parable that we were going to study this morning where this guy's working for a guy and he finds out he's going to get canned. And so he ends up going to all the debtors, to his boss and cutting their debts. And the master thinks he's quite smart that he did that. And then Jesus says, what? He says, the pagans are smarter in their handling of money, more shrewd than you guys are. And then he says, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And that's the final thing I want to say to you this morning, that when we give to God, what we are doing is we're feathering our bed in heaven, not on earth. And God is telling us here to use the wealth that he has made us stewards of to prepare our heavenly bed. And he's saying that you should make friends for yourself by how you handle dirty money, wealth of unrighteousness, dirty money, so that when it fails, and when does it fail? It fails when you die. So that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. And so as we make our commitment to the capital campaign, we are making a decision how we will be greeted in heaven. Do you understand that? If we bear the burden of the children of this church and the grandchildren financially, those children will welcome us to heaven. We will use dirty money to get wonderful greetings when we get to heaven. Does this make sense? Now, it doesn't just apply to that. It applies to how you tip at the restaurant. Because 
how generous you are in your tipping will have an impact on how they see God. And whether or not there are souls there who are there because of your generosity and your handling of money. Do you understand? Because as a Christian, wherever you go, your use of money is a testimony about whether you love money or love God. Do you understand? And so when you go in and tip, we had uh, another church I was at here, there, were co- there was a couple uh, that, that worked as uh, waiter and waitress over at uh, 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 Red Lobster. And what they said is every Sunday at noon, no, no waiter or waitress ever wanted to work Sunday at noon. Why? Because all the Christians came in. And all the Christians were skin flints. That's so disgusting. And they were Christians. They, they graduated from Moody and then were in the music school here. And so they didn't have any malice against Christians. They just said it's a point of fact that waiters and waitresses don't want to work after church Sunday because of how tight Christians are. And so we'll have one more sermon on money next week. And by then, all of you will have marked your commitment card. And then we'll know how much our church loves money. And how much we love God. And I have not enjoyed uh, (laughs) having to look at my heart. But what good discipline. I remember the difficulty that Ron and Doris went through when Lucas decided he was going to go into the pastor's college. Because Lucas could have gone to med school. He could have done anything he wanted, right? And he could have. He could have supported his parents in their old age. Huh? Do you hear this? I love that woman. And that's what a godly woman says. And ungodly women will never admit it. And so what? They gave their son to the pastor's college, and now look at him. He's earning what? Are are we paying you $7 an hour yet? (laughs) So do you love money? Or do you love God? And you say, well, both favorites. And I say, no, I have it on God's word that you'll either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay? Neither can I. And so I'm thankful for this uh, capital campaign getting drawn through a knot hole, and that's good for us. Pray for us. It's hard work. Would the elders come as we come to the Lord's table, please? By the way, I did not say this in the, during the Sunday school hour, but I want to tell you this. Do we need any more? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's good enough. Um, when I heard about the um, questions at the congregational meeting, I was in Linden, Washington, which is on the border of Canada, 
with my best friend, Robert Woodyard, at his house. Mary Lee and I were there with Robert and Fema. And he's pastor of First CRC Church in Linden, Washington. And um, it's a church of six or seven hundred, and they're all Dutch, which means they're all much. And it's not a poor church at all, all right? And they have decided that they're going to have, uh, that that they need to add on. They don't have a fellowship hall, really, and they don't have offices, and they don't have classrooms. They have a nice sanctuary, but not much else. And so they went ahead and decided to add on, and the way they handled it was they had people give money until they had enough cash on hand to build, which is the way Mike would wish, wishes we'd do it, but then what does Mike know anyhow? <laughs> and uh, so I got the phone call, and I heard about all the questions in the congregational meeting, and I was walking around the house and the church, because there's a manse, and then the church is right next door, and Robert was showing me that they finally broke ground, and they're starting to put up their addition, right? Okay? Their addition is 6,000 square feet, all right? That's their addition, and they're a church of six to 700 much Dutch, all right? And how much is that addition of 6,000 square feet going to cost them? $850,000. I just want to tell you all that because we are being as conservative and careful as we can be. And it's stick construction, too. It's wood. It's not concrete. So I just thought I'd tell you that. That's one you get without paying. <laughs>